And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Running a division at Aramark and then helping people rehabilitate after prison. There's something missing there. So what's the gap? Los Angeles is the gang capital of the world, unfortunately. I'm having lunch at the Homegirl Cafe with my friend, and he's asking me to get involved. And as I'm eating lunch, I'm I'm looking around at, at the employees. I'm looking how they're... Tom Bozo, CEO of Homeboy Industries, the largest social enterprise dedicated to helping former gang-involved men and women transform their lives through job training and human services. Through his leadership, Homeboy now serves 10,000 men and women each year. Why is this population not able to get the jobs before they end up in a certain point where a homeboy has to serve them? Who we serve are current gang members who have been incarcerated. So they come out of the prison and jail system. They voluntarily come to homeboy. And when they walk through our doors, they're saying, I'm tired of gang life. I want something different. Can you help? What is the one thing that you took from running a multi-billion dollar organization and that you deployed into Homeboy? Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They've supported the podcast for almost two years now. Obviously, if you have never used HubSpot or have ever heard of it, you're just tuning into the podcast for the first time because I've spoken about HubSpot a lot. But HubSpot is a tool that you need if you are a business leader and now they're helping you incorporate AI into your processes. See, AI is eating the web as we speak, and what that means for a business leader is this. The time to embrace AI technology is now, because for people like us, automation helps us do more with less while continuing to meet and exceed those incredibly high business expectations we set for ourselves. It's basically magic, or honestly, as close as we're gonna get as business leaders, and if you haven't tried HubSpot's new AI features, you have to do that. Content Assistant and ChatSpot are two brand new tools that will immediately save you and your team tons of time. HubSpot's features run on ChatGPT's tech to help you make compelling content and manage your CRM way faster than before. We're talking ad copy, data analytics, workflow automations, all with a chat command. So head to HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. Today, my guest is Tom Vozo, CEO of Homeboy Industries the largest social enterprise dedicated to helping former gang-involved men and women transform their lives through job training and human services. His global business expertise and proven track record of leading highly successful businesses in the service, retail, and distribution industries prompted Homeboy Industries founder, Father Greg Boyle, to ask him to take the helm in 2012. Since then, Vozo has led the agency forward, bringing his business expertise and vision to implement a strategic and mission driven development plan for the organization that has resulted in growth all around. Through his leadership, Homeboy now serves 10,000 men and women each year. 
In 2011, Vozo retired as the executive vice president of Aramark, a $13 billion corporation, during which time he served as CEO and president of Aramark Uniform and Career Apparel Group. He also served as an executive officer and management committee member of Aramark Corporation from 2004 to 2011. During his time, the corporation transitioned from public to private via a management private equity-led $8 billion buyout. Vozo is a member of the advisory board for the Salvation Army, Southern California Division, and has served on executive committees of a number of industry-related boards. You know, I often think back in my life about, uh, I've had a lot of great experiences and in many ways I feel like I lived a charmed life. Uh, but I had a, a seminal moment early in my career um, about business and business, because I love business. I, I found myself having a natural ability to kind of run companies, understand what it takes to, to uh, make the company successful from a sales standpoint, from an employee standpoint. And so this is back when I was uh, running my, the uniform set of businesses for Aramark. It was a $2 billion set of businesses. And think back to the 2008 recession, which is different than the recession we just went through in this pandemic. In 2008, it was sort of a, a monetary crisis and it was interest rates and, all, and money flow. But essentially what happened was within the four month time frame, the economy shrunk 10 to, 10 to 15%. And the businesses I was running, uh, that business shrunk just as, about the same amount. It was a uniform business, number of employees out there is how many people in uniform. So we worked super hard to, uh, to make our numbers. And we knew the year end was coming and we did workforce reductions. We were kind of trying to be smart about keeping our long-term plans in place, but also having, uh, making the short-term numbers. And so, uh, the year was ending, uh, and I still remember this is the seminal moment. I was, uh, we, at that time, uh, I lived in California went back to visit my in-laws in Philadelphia uh, two days before Christmas. And uh, um, I'm driving along. My wife and I had to go out food shopping on behalf of my mother-in-law. And I remember in a rainy parking lot in, out in suburban Philadelphia at a supermarket and the chairman of the corporation called me up. And, um, you know, he usually calls up right before Christmas to wish everybody happy holidays. But this time it wasn't about wishing happy holidays. It was about, Tom, are we going to make the numbers for year end? And, you know, I dutifully kind of talk through how we did our reductions that even though there was a 15% sales decline, we're still going to only make, we're going to reduce profits by 7%. So we're still going to make $150 million of profit, not revenue, $150 million of profit. And in that, and as I'm telling him, I'm thinking we're doing a pretty good job. Well, he turns to me on the phone and says, that's not good enough. We made promises to the street and we have to hit our numbers. And you've got to do all you can to get back to your original number, which is trying to find another $10 million. And so I'm thinking to myself, as he's telling me that story and telling me what I got to do, I have to now, in the back of my mind, I know what it's going to take to cut that extra $10 million. I have to now do more workforce reduction, fire more people, people who we've counted on for, the many, for many years in our company, who we probably need down the line. And thinking this doesn't make sense. This isn't. This is not planning for the long term. This is not a people-driven company at that point. This is clearly a shareholder-driven company, which that's the rules of the game. You know, well-run companies have this balance of shareholder value balanced against employees. 
But in the time when push comes to shove, it's always shareholders winning out. And I also know, I know how the numbers work. I know that just by us going from $150 million of profit to $160 million, what our commitment was, it's not going to make a hill of beans difference in our long-term valuation. So I'm thinking for the sense of pride that we are good, smart business people to make the street, we're actually now hurting people's livelihoods along the way. And so to me, I was like, that was the moment where, where I love business all along. I love sort of running companies and making it a good place to work for people. I realized the rules of the game, I understood, but one of those, few of those rules don't sit well with me. And that why do you always have to leave employees behind uh, to, in the zeal to sort mm -hmm. of do the, do the highest performance on Wall Street? And so at that point, I thought to myself, well, listen, I'm not, I'm not in charge. I, you know, I take the orders from the CEO and I, if that's what they got, that's what we got to do. But it, in my mind, that was my point. It's like, at some point, I got to find something different in life that while I've been very successful in the business world, there's got to be a way that we can run businesses and not sacrifice employees and people when push comes to shove, that you can kind of keep things in balance, even when times get tough. And, uh, and it was interesting as I reflect back, having that, those feelings now well, you know, over 14, 15 year, years ago, and then now my life over this last decade at Homeboy Industries and how, how having people be first and foremost in, in what we do, how, the, how my perspective of running an organization changes. So we're talking, when, when that conversation happened, that you said that was about 15, 10 to 15 years. 2008, yeah. right? That the the crisis. So, um, that was a few years ago. Do you feel as though, like, I know what you're doing is drastically different than that mindset, but do you feel as though businesses have actually evolved past that? Have we still are we still stuck in this shareholder stakeholder first mentality in 2023? We, we are still stuck in it. We have not evolved past that. I think it's it's very difficult for us to kind of shake loose those constructs, you know, and, and listen, I want to be really clear. I love businesses. Uh, you know, I do speeches on behalf of Homeboy and I lead off by saying I'm a committed capitalist and in some audiences doesn't play so well, but I think well-run businesses are good for our society, right? And for the most part, businesses do right by their employees. And in this narrative that's out there that all business folks are evil folks, that's, that's no, no. Having a business that employs people, where people can find dignity in their job and dignity to the labor they do, adds value to our society. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money, and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins, and I've been there. Juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. 
efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the 
best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. But I think back to your question, why we haven't shaken off those constraints is you think about the reward systems that's in place and how it's, it, you know, it's almost a cliche to talk about, you know, public companies have this quarterly mentality. And, but yet, you know, almost two thirds of the business now in the United States, the large businesses are owned by private equity. They still have a very short term profit oriented mentality. I think we have to come up with a way of having uh, a longer term view for businesses. And clearly those businesses that depend upon people you know, service industry depends on people, has to rank that as high as shareholder value. And if you look at the, the, really the well-run companies over multiple decades is the ones who sort of put their people more up front uh, relative to the other companies that it's just more profit and financial driven. Um, now, let's, let's, look at, let's look at the, the, the stark contrast between a company that was run with that legacy mindset and what you're doing with Homeboy. So let's pick like the number one lesson as you, cause obviously then you move forward in your, in your life and your career and you, and you start homeboy. And I want to understand what, what gave you the idea to do this and where that inspiration came from. But what is the single most important lesson that you learned at Aramark that you are adamant about making sure that homeboy does not do that thing? No, oh, I thought you were going the other way and say, what is the lesson that I bring? No, I want to hear the opposite. I want to hear, I want to hear the one thing that, that gave you stress that was traumatic that, that was it this one particular instance? Yeah, well, without a doubt. Now, listen, so I want to clearly say, again, I love businesses. I love yes. work. I, there's a lot of good in corporate America. There's a lot of good learnings. You know, this whole issue of leadership development, people development. You know, for, the for-profit business sector has that figured out really well, uh, most definitely. But when it comes down to sort of what's what is the mission, what is the company, what is an organization about, and mm-hmm. and oftentimes, not oftentimes, nearly every time it in the in the for-profit sector, it is about driving shareholder value, 
profits first, and it's that sort of mission to not just increase the share price, but to, but to drive sales, to drive profitability. And uh, well-run companies are going to do a good job of getting, having more people share in that pie. Uh, but without a doubt, when think about if the audience out here is listening and you're in a business and you're actually trying to make a tough decision, uh, how often do you sort of say, well, how's this going to affect our employees? How often does that question factor in to a very difficult business decision? More often, it's like, is it good for our market share? Is it good for our profitability? Can we afford to make it that way? You know, very, very few times is it like, if, you're, if we're a people-oriented company, is it good for our employees over the long term? And then let's let's flip it then. So the question that you th you thought I was going to ask. So what is the <laughs> right. one thing that you took from running a multi-billion-dollar organization and that you deployed into into Homeboy? Yeah. Um, listen. So uh, particularly, Aramark was is a service company, and so uh, you're not um, successful because you have a certain patent or a product or a technology. You have a service, and that service goes from client to client. And how well you perform is how well you get your next set of businesses. So it is about leadership development. Aramark was a global company, very decentralized. It spent a lot of effort and time of training up the next generation of leaders so that the organization kept, kept growing. And so uh, it's bringing that point of how do you kind of develop leaders and managers in an organization to grow organically as as you would as you would want to in any organization and it's it's that people focus of of investing in people from a development standpoint the difference is aramark did it because they knew if they had great leaders they were going to make more money <laughs> we're yeah. doing we're doing that at homeboy is to having great leaders and allow more people to heal and get out of gang life and a life of crime amazing um okay so then then walk me through because a service-based business is there's not i don't see the path into what you're doing at homeboy i don't see the the clear the clear right. you know the the clear thread between running a, a division at aramark and then helping people rehabilitate after after prison right there's something missing there so what's the gap sure. how did you get sure. into this yeah how did i get into it so uh, back to that seminal moment i knew uh, at that time boy it's i got to find a different uh, yeah. different way of going about this. Uh, no idea what that would be. But also, you know, we were owned by private equity, sort of had a four-year lockup. I was going to work four years, four more years, uh, do my best job I can, and then then go find a different chapter in my life. Another good thing what, what public companies, big companies focus on is being local in your community. And so uh, for many years, we were always encouraged to be on and help out local charities and boards. So I was on the board of Salvation Army of Los Angeles. And from there, I was so impressed with how the Salvation Army sort of their employees, their, their officers put their time and energy into helping the most marginalized, forgotten people, the homeless people along the way. And so uh, a fellow board member uh, was on that board, uh, knew I had left uh, Aramark and invited me down to the Homegirl Cafe for lunch. Now, again, Homeboy is the largest gang rehabilitation program in the, in the country, there by the world. Los Angeles is the gang capital of the world, unfortunately. But here we have Homeboy, a 30-year organization, helping people get out of gang life and being very successful at it. <clears throat> and part of it is having social enterprise businesses and helping people heal through the context of a job. But I'm having lunch at the Homegirl Cafe with my friend, and he's asking me uh, to get involved. Now, he knew I had time on my hand. And as I'm eating lunch, I'm, I'm looking around at, at the employee's uh, serving us, the, the homegirls and the homeboys. 
and I'm looking how they're, you know, they're doing a good job. They're, they're, they're working hard. They're smiling. They're talking to customers. They're interacting. And as uh, this realization waves over me that I would have never hired any of those folks back in my for-profit job. And that here is this workforce that, yeah, that it seems like a pretty good workforce. And I say that in the context that in my last eight years in my for-profit job, we made 40 acquisitions in those eight years. We integrated them. So you have a sense as you're, as you're looking at potential companies, you walk the shop floor, you have a sense of the culture and how the workforce works. And here I'm looking at this homeboy workforce saying, wow, I know nothing about this population. I know I would have never hired them. And yet they're, they're doing a good job. And as I heard that they've changed, they're changing the life around. So when I had the opportunity to, my friend wanted me to get involved on the board. Uh, I wanted to get involved, but you know, I always admire the Salvation Army officers who they've dedicated their professional life to helping people. And so I had time on my hand and wasn't going to go work again, but I figured, well, let me, let me volunteer. So as, as I said, as opposed to being a board member, you have, a, you have something I can come and volunteer and do. And at the time, Homeboy was having financial problems, particularly in its social enterprise businesses. I clearly need an old guy with some gray hair and knew, knew how to run businesses. And so I started volunteering. And uh, did I ever think I was going to be a, a nonprofit guy? No. Did I ever think I was going to kind of go work with gang members? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, know not I knew nothing about gang members. I knew nothing about the people, their struggles in their society. But what I soon came to learn, I, I still... Still, I soon fell in love with the organization. Uh, and what I saw was that in the context of a job, people are dramatically transforming their life and, and, and really becoming upstanding members of our community. And that's, in the end, that's what, as we think about all of us, what I want in society is for everybody to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. And so here's Homeboys helping the most demonized, forgotten people move their life forward. And so I, I, I signed on as a volunteer. A couple months later, the organization was going through some finan more financial troubles. Uh, Father Greg Boyle, our founder, someone on the board said, hey, why don't you ask Tom to see if you can spend more time with us? And uh, he asked me to be uh, come in for the first time to be the CEO. Um, and I got a little bit demurred. I didn't want to work full time. I sort of wanted to go off and travel with my wife. But I was really intrigued. I was wanted intrigued to also be in the great in the in the vicinity of Father Greg, who is a living saint. And uh, and I said yes. And and look, I had all the hubris of a corporate CEO. I think okay, I'll do this for six months to a year. I help uh, get them straightened out, and then I go off and do something different. And lo and behold, I'm here ten years later, loving every still every minute that I'm there. Learned so much more about. Business, certainly so much about the poor in our society, learned so much more about my own spirituality. And through the homies, I've learned to go on my own spiritual journey and find more balance in my life. And and so that's why I was I'm happy to always talk about homeboy. There's lots of things to say, but it's I just feel like it's it's coincidence or providence that sort of led me to having that lunch at the homegirl cafe and, and jumping in. One of my favorite tools for the podcast that you're listening to right now is Munch. Munch is an AI-powered tool that takes a podcast, a webinar, an interview, you name it, and it turns it into tons of media-ready social clips. And then it takes it a step further by making sure that each clip aligns with marketing trends. It does keyword research, so it ensures the success of the clip. And it doesn't stop there. Instant subtitles, pre-written social posts, 
multilingual. It does eight different languages. So whether or not you're an individual creator or an entire production team, Munch is a game changer, a time and a resource saver. Imagine having an AI analyze every nuance of your video and creating engaging, trend-ready clips. This is what Munch does for me. And remember, Munch isn't just for creators. It's for any scenario where long-form content is produced. Content teams, production companies, studios, Munch helps an insane amount. So head to getmunch.com to get started. They put together a special promo for all Success Story podcast listeners. Use the promo code SUCCESS to get 15% off your subscription. That's getmunch.com, promo code SUCCESS. Munch is a gold mine for all of your content needs. Everything happens for a reason, right? Everything always does. Um, so I want to understand a little bit more about the people that you serve. So, so, for, so at a high level, you're helping people that are involved in gangs get jobs, probably be a, a little bit of a, a living a better life, uh, living in society in a better way than through through gangs, but. Help me understand the the person that you serve best. Is somebody who is in a gang that hasn't been incarcerated? Is this like a rehabilitation program after they have been incarcerated? Who do you actually serve? And then also, I want to, I guess, ask um, ask a, a tough question, and it's not meant to be insensitive, but it's meant to better understand the people that you serve. Why would they not? Why is gang the default? Why why is this population not able to? get the jobs before they end up in a certain point where a homeboy has to serve them. There's a reason why, and I want to understand that so they can better frame the, the service that you're offering. Yeah, no, all good questions, Scott. Um, let me first say who we serve are, are gang members, uh, currently current gang members who have been incarcerated. So they come out of the prison and jail system and they voluntarily come to Homeboy. There's not court mandated, they're not told to be here. They voluntarily come to Homeboy and when they walk through their door, our doors, they're saying, I'm tired of gang life, I want something different. Can you help me? And we're there to help. To my surprise, I learned, I've learned so much being there. To my surprise, many of the men and women we serve are second, third generation gang members. Um, they are jumped into a gang at a young age, when they're 12, 13 years old, uh, they have by their uncle, by their mother, by their parent, by their father. Um, they almost, in my view, my words, they like almost preordained to be a gang member, the next generation gang members, because that's that's all they know. Um, but it was interesting. So to part of your question, why a gang, right? And I remember early on in my time, I'm sitting there with Father Greg asking similar questions along the way. And he can almost kind of distill it down to saying, and he, this was sort of what he said to me. That the difference between him and I, why we're not in a gang, and the men and women that we serve who are in gang, is that we had one parent who loved us and was there for us and took care of us. And if you think, and as we think about all our people we serve, they didn't have a parent in their life, uh, or their parents were their abuse. Their parents told them not to go to don't go to school, drop out of school to the eighth grade because their parent needed them to be the lookout on the corner for a drug deal. They're, they're, they are just abused by the parents. Every one of the people we serve are victims of complex trauma. They join a gang thinking that's going to be their family. That's their way out of that terrible household that they have, that unsafe household, that their, their gang, their homies are going to take care of them. It's a false hope. It's a false feeling because what happens is the gang turns on them. 
they do something bad, they, they get incarcerated, they go to jail, and they're left on their own. So when they're coming out of prison, and listen, we deal with serious violent offenders. When they're coming out of prison, they don't want to go back to gang life. They know it's a, it's, it's, it's a false self that leads them there. They know it's, there's no long term. They also you know, realize the Johnny gang, and, and they, they do dangerous things because they don't think they're going to live past 30 years old. So you know, having threats of long sentences is not going to sort of change people's approach, whether they do crime or not. But when they're in prison, they, they want to make a change. When they're coming out of prison, they want to live that lifestyle they, they dream about. They see other people living. And so we're there to open our doors to say, listen, we can help you. And our secret sauce, it's as, it's as simple as this. We don't judge them by the color of their skin, their tattoo on their face, the gang they've been, the felony they had. We just bring them in. And we, our simple sauce is relationship, trust them, because first time they ever got trust in their life, and we love them. We have positive relationships there for them, and we become their greater family. And that's what enables somebody to turn their life around. So for society to... To think, and this is what drives me crazy about society. For society to think that you, we can, as a society, release tens of thousands of prisoners each year out of the just the state of California, tens of thousands. And that society think that, well, if they just worked harder and they're smarter, they can go get a job and thereby not join a gang. It's as nutty because our folks are victims of complex trauma. They got to heal from that trauma. We allow, and what we do at Homeboy will help them heal while they're working so then after Homeboy, they can get a job with other companies. So, so one thing that I'm, I'm curious about is that point when they're in jail and they're incarcerated and they're looking for something different and something better, but that's not always the case. So what, what do we have to do to allow them to look towards something better? Because in jail, recidivism rates increase exponentially. And I'm sure like my background, I'm Canadian and I know that Canada is not even remotely as bad as the U.S. in terms of recidivism. If you put someone in jail in certain jails and certain environments, their chance of uh, their chance of committing another crime goes up X percent, right? Because they're surrounded by this population that's not helping them rehabilitate. So how does a jail or how does a, how does how come some individuals are looking for a better life, whereas some individuals you see high recidivism rates? What is the differentiator? Yes, and I would answer it this way. So um, let me first say, uh, think about those statistics of recidivism going in, back into the prison system under Correct. a new charge, right? So uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was an independent, independent study of Homeboy done by UCLA, and it showed that people who have been part of our Homeboy program only have a 30% recidivism rate uh, after two years of being out. Mm -hmm. That compares to the statewide average, to your point, of 70%. And so here we are two and a half times better than the statewide average. So question, so your question is, why recidivate? Why do people go back in the jail system? And I almost yeah. say, well, why do people go back in the jail system at a two times more rate than they do after they come in to be a part of Homeboy? And the answer is simply that we invest in them. We try to help them heal from their trauma. And so they can become resilient to take on what society throws at them. In the U.S., people come out of the prison with... A massive amount of debt, not just restitution charges, but court costs and all. Let me let me tell you this one story. So early, so we have a homeboy, a number of social enterprise businesses. We have a homeboy bakery, uh, and here's where we make artisan bread, and we have eleven bread routes go around, and we deliver them to restaurants all throughout Los Angeles. We also had farmers markets, 
an artisan-based bakery means hand handmade breads. And so there's nothing better about breaking down walls and enemies. So when two enemies stand at that bread table side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and they're rolling dough, you can't demonize somebody you're, you're in relationship with, you're working next to. And so these two guys from rival gangs were able to work it out over the bread table. Right? So that's what that's the value of having that type of work that we do. But And we sell the bread, and we sell the bread at farmer's markets. Uh, early on in my time at Homeboy, I was walking through the uh, the bakery and, uh, you know, trying to be friendly and talk to people. And I overheard one of our best uh, sellers at the farmer's markets, 26 farmer's markets around Los Angeles, George. He's one of our best sellers. Every time he takes the breads out to the markets, he completely sells out and comes home early. And he's had a gift for a guy. I mean, a certain amount of charisma, right? And so uh, I overheard him talking to our manager, asking for the weekend off. Well, the weekends are important days for farmer's markets. So the uh, manager said yes. And then I go up to talk to George, and I, think, I just want to chit-chat. Hey, what are you going to do? You're going away? You're going to go to a ball game? What are you, what, what you going to have? What are you going to do? And he looks at me and says, I'm reporting in. And I said, well, what's, what do you mean reporting in? Well, he was re going to report into county jail on Friday night and spend three days there, come back on Tuesday. And he was doing that because he came out of jail and prison with debt. He had cost of his parole officer, court costs. He has all these costs. And like society thinks that people on the day one coming out of prison, they can start paying off their debt. And they don't even have a job yet, mm -hmm. right? It's just nuts. And that sort of, that sort of says what society throws up against them. And so... So he so at that time, you can go to L.A. County Jail and you can spend three days in jail and earn off some of the, the money that you owe. And so I walked away that evening thinking, that's really responsible for George. He's trying to do it the right way. He didn't go. He could have gone to his former gang and say, hey, let me get some money. He could have gone to a loan shark and borrowed money. He didn't want to do the high interest rates. He wanted to do it the, the, the good way, the clean way. All right. So all weekend I'm thinking about it. I see George following Tuesday. Hey, George. I, I went up to him. Quickly, hey, how'd it go? And I see stress on his face. And I'm thinking, what happened? And he said, when he came out of prison, he was able to get custody of his two children, 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. And he has sole custody of it. He has no caregiver. He has no, he has no family support. They're in the gang. He doesn't live in the neighborhood any longer. So the caregiver who was going to watch his kids that weekend while he reported to jail called at the last minute and couldn't make it. And so he had this choice, or almost no choice, because he committed to going to jail. So he left his 10-year-old and 8-year-old at home, in their apartment, on their own, for three days while he was in wow. county jail. You just imagine the stress as a father, what you go through, thinking, did you make the right decision? Are they going to be okay? How's it going to work? Quick, the end of the story is they turned out okay. Everything was fine. Right? But as I'm listening to this story, seeing his stress, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. I don't know if I would have done it that way. I mean, so you have to pause and think, not to judge. Because they're faced, our folks coming out of prison have been faced with impossible choices to live the normal life that we want them to live, right? And yet, it, we just have to be there for them and, get, and help them in some way get them more money so they don't have these choices, but don't judge them by their actions. So that was a long way answering your questions. Why a high recidivism rate in the United States? Because people come out of prison and still have all these stressors to get done, what society throws at them, and they just kind of give up. Well, I'm just give up and say, oh, I'll just go back to the gang because <laughs> it's easier money to be made. 
and I'll sort of live life that way while I may die at 30. I don't have as much stress. There are folks, though, who deep, almost everybody knows deep down what they're doing is not right, and they want to do it in a more honest and better way. And and let's okay. So let's talk about the let's talk about the progression of somebody that comes out of a gang. So then, when when you when you come out of a gang, um, I'm assuming uh, you're not. Uh, these are general assumptions, but I'm assuming you're not coming out with a college degree. So if you are looking to make uh, a living wage and you're looking to displace money from illicit activities, it can be like highly lucrative. Mm. How do you how do you fully move away from gang life? Because it's not going to be raising a family on on making artisanal bread. There has to be progression. And there has to be some some way to make it. I don't know what the the amount is, but there has to be an amount that has to be made where you're making 60, 70, 80. I don't know what that is. And then you can actually support a family you can put into retirement. So what is the what is the way to actually support people so that they can become full members, not just rehabilitated, but on, on par with someone else who was getting a job to support a whole family and retire? Yeah, and that's the uh, nub of the challenge, right? And and I put it in this frame, you know, the um, the working poor in our society have a lot of challenges. And just as you talked about, you can't provide for your family by being among the working poor. And uh, what I'm here to say is, you know, the, in, in the United States, the poverty rate has been the same for 45 years, same narrow band, you know, 12 to 13 percent. And so mm -hmm. as a society, we haven't figured out how to help people lift people out of poverty along the way. But what I've learned at Homeboy is, oh, there actually is a way to help people who are poor and uh, the working poor, the folks who are demonized. And so to your question about uh, gang members, as they as they, as they come into Homeboy, and uh, only 40% of them have a high school uh, diploma, so 60% do not. Um, so while we think people get educated in the prison system, most people still don't get educated in the prison mm -hmm. system. And so uh, what, we, what we do is, again, primarily we're a human services agency. We help people heal from their trauma. You know, we have... Uh, we have therapists on staff. Uh, we have, you know, homies going to therapy. We have NA, AA classes. We do there's domestic violence counseling classes. We have high school classes. We we allow people pathways to college, junior college. We we get them in. We take off their tattoos. All in the context, all this in the context of while they're working with us. We give them a lot of space to do to do that work. And so what we see is that. Now, primarily they need to heal, but then to your point, the sub point, then we have to upscale them, upskill them so that they can uh, succeed in our economy. Again, another statistic, 90% of the folks that come out of the prison system have never worked in a business for more than four weeks in their whole life. And so they don't have the muscle memory of, of how to work. So with all those challenges, I'm here to say, this is a good workforce once they go through an organization like Homeboy and become resilient and learn the skills. You know, we have in in Los Angeles a Zagat-rated cafe, homegirl cafe. Only seven other restaurants have as high a rating in downtown Los Angeles, and it's fully run by gang members and felons. And so, um, I often think about you know, the workforce we have. A homeboy is, is is really good. So it's as good of a workforce as you're going to get any anywhere else. And so, uh, in any workforce, you're going to have this sort of people who sort of move up the ladder and have upward mm -hmm. mobility. And those are the ones who will get 70, 80, 90,000 a year. Uh, and as well as you're gonna have people at the front line level who, who struggle to, to, because they don't have enough skills to move higher. 
our role is to help people heal, get the, that first transitional job, and then help them get the next level jobs above that. We're proud of the fact that over half of our management team are former clients. And so, uh, again, I know our workforce is just as any workforce. They just won't get the market-based wages because of their backgrounds. And so mm -hmm. part of my, my thing is, as I, as I thought about writing this book, what lessons I learned, it's also kind of trying to challenge people in the business world. Yeah. Let's hire this, this population because they're as good of a workforce as any other workforce, and they're very loyal. And our folks deserve the right to have upward mobility in a job just like any other person who doesn't have a felony and doesn't uh, coming out of a gang. And that they can shine based upon their own ability. And we just got to give them that chance. Now, how do we, okay, so how do we, how do we really, really change the landscape? Because we're talking about changing significant hiring practices for large organizations, and that's what has to happen. So what are the things, the frameworks, or even um, the ways that we can make businesses feel comfortable about changing hiring practices? Because right now, it's probably a little bit of, well, if I have two candidates, I'm going to go for the one that wasn't incarcerated or doesn't have a felony. Mm -hmm. It just seems safer. It's the way that you're talking about legacy business and how we how we're shareholder centric and shareholder focused. I mean, there's a lot of things that are broken in business. Uh, and so yeah, this is just yeah, another thing sure. that, that hasn't changed quickly. Right. So how do we fix that? Uh, yeah. And we have to change the mindset of people in companies, upper management in companies. Uh, uh, companies need to believe that they're part of the fabric of our society and that they contribute to the in a positive way or a negative way to, again, the fabric of our society. And so what do I mean by that? So listen, so if a company has this mindset that, that their role is to have a quality job and that they believe they have quality jobs for all their employees, meaning uh, living wage, benefits, predictable scheduling, upward mobility, right? That's all we're asking. And many companies have all that. What I'm asking is that they hire people who don't have access to that or historically not have had access to that. And to do that, it takes a commitment. You have to bring extra resources in. You have to, you have to not, treat, not worry about treating people equally all up and down the chain, but realizing that if you're going to hire the working poor, the demonized, that you have to overinvest. You have to sort of give them more, in some ways, more time off. Another example, my, uh, my administrative assistant secretary, I had a homeboy. Uh, young woman, you know, we, we try to, in all our jobs, we try to make, have them for our clients, right? So yeah. uh, she, uh, in and out of youth camp, which is youth jail in Los Angeles at a young age, uh, she became a, uh, in and out. She became a single mother at age 17. She came the homeboy without a high school degree. She was a homeboy three years, single mother, lived in shelters. She had no family support, lived in shelters along the way but wanted to do better for her and her daughter, became my executive assistant, and she was a good, hardworking employee, just like you would want. So at Homeboy and company, we have a board meeting four times a year, and they start at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, my assistant would get to, the, get to work at 6.30 to make sure the room's set up, the water's out, the copies are made, just as, that's what we would want. She was a dedicated employee. Well, there was a time where the night before one of our board meetings, her parole officer calls her and says to her that she needs to report in for, you know, just a, uh, a, a regular update meeting with him 
the next day at 8 a.m. She said, well, can I come at 10 a.m.? Because I, I have to go to my, my job, need, needs me early in the morning. And he said, no, if you don't show up at 8 a.m., I'm going to violate you and you'll be back in prison. And so now, of course, we're homeboy. We get it. We understand that she now has to go. But like that's sort of the challenges that is thrown up to her it, from the from the system that's in place makes it hard. And so we need employers who recognize, oh, let's give her that day off. Don't worry about it. Go to your parole officer, come back. And, and once you give them that, once you say, don't worry about it, we have you covered, they, became, they become much more loyal to your organization. No kidding, They're yeah. going to work even harder. But oftentimes you get this thinking process in a business like, well, if, if we give her that time to go see a parole officer, we're going to have to now give somebody else time to go see their whatever. No, I'm saying, no, no, no. You don't have to treat people equally. Now, if you have any attorneys listening and they're probably screaming, saying, oh, of course you got to treat people equally. I'm saying you take what I've learned at Homeboy is you got to take a case-by-case -case basis. Don't worry about setting precedent because the precedent is you're going to help people for where they need help and not yeah. worry about these these small workplace rules you're, you're concerned about. So that's and why as, as businesses hire folks, you got to have that type of mindset. And I, and I can, you know, I, I want to comment on that too. Like as a, as, as an employer, when, when you go out of your way to do things like that, like I've never experienced anything like that in my career, but I mean, I can understand that if you give somebody a case by case and you, and you work with them as a human being, that person is going to go above and beyond. And they're going to be so, like you mentioned, so committed to your organization, Absolutely. so committed to just making sure that they give 110% of themselves because you're going out of your way to support. And that's the way you should work with other people. Like everybody's a human, everybody has things going on. And this is a thing, but know that it's a marginalized group that is, it's not even in the discussion right now, which is the It's not even discussion. And what people do is they hide behind, I've seen this, hide behind company rules, company precedents. And yeah, so I'm asking companies to change rules, but really what I'm asking is indiv individually, we can all extend ourselves to somebody less fortunate and to help them out and give them a moment of grace and some space. And okay, so let's talk about, you know, uh, e eating your own eating your own dog food and, and working with the people that you serve. Let's talk about the success and some of the things that you've done in, in Homeboy, like the growth of the company, the growth of the organization, um, some of the strategies you deployed, and basically the strategies you've deployed, I mean, the people that are deploying these strategies are the people that are this marginalized group of, 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 of ex-incarcerated felons, people that have gone to jail. So let's talk about some of the success and the things you've done. I mean, it's, it's interesting that you combine this like for-profit business acumen with a nonprofit organization. So walk me through some things you've done in the past 10 years. Yeah. And so, uh, listen, it is, it is about a combination and that's where I feel lucky to be in, in both worlds, uh, along the way. So let me first say homeboy industries was founded by father Greg Boyle, Jesuit priest 34 years ago. And, uh, his first station as a priest was Dolores mission, the poorest, poorest parish in the archdiocese wanted to get people out of gang life hit upon this obvious notion. If you get them a job with make enough money for food and shelter, they're not going to run with a gang for food and shelter. So fast forward all these years later, uh, we're now an organization that, uh, we have, um, 10 social enterprise businesses. Um, and so we have our cafe and we have a bakery, we have farmer's markets. We, we do silk screening. And so we have a merchandise store. 
Um, and what we've been trying to do is grow our enterprise because, listen, we are, let me, before I go into that part of the answer, today we're a $35 million organization of which we raise uh, $25 million from donors and foundations. Uh, $8 million comes from our social enterprise businesses. And the rest of the money, which is only $2 million, comes from government. So we're 95% privately funded. We're not depending upon government funds. Mm -hmm. I would like to get more government funds. It's hard for us to win government contracts because uh, they have their way of helping people. We have our way of helping people, but we are our way is successful. And thankfully, we're blessed with many donors who sort of see us as getting the money to the services that help people uh, without a doubt. So my goal over those time where we've tripled in size from 11 million to 35 million is trying to grow all three revenue streams. And without a doubt, we've grown our businesses, we've grown our donor support, but it's about uh, people. So we're here, we're a human services organization. Like I said before, over half of our senior staff are former clients. It wasn't always that way, right? And so we've made a conscious effort. We, you know, corporations and companies talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion all three good words, all things people should do. In many ways, homeboy industries have been doing that for, for 30 years. And we, we give, and so to me, it's the perspective I've put in place is we want to have people with lived experience all at every level of the organization, not just frontline managers. And so we, we've made that happen. But, and part of the learning there is, is you know, look back, if we have somebody who is applying for a manager's job and one has a college degree and one is an internal candidate, uh, uh, has sort of the intuitive sense and the smarts to do it, but don't have a college degree, obviously we don't care about whether you have a college degree or not. It's whether you can do the, you can do the job. I think I've, I've just observed this interesting phenomenon that it, with the population we serve, all their life, they've been told they're no good. They've been told in school they're no good. They've been told in the jails they're no good. People wag their fingers at them. And so a little bit, more than a little bit, they don't believe in themselves. And so I'm going to talk about this concept of promoting people ahead of their time. In the corporate world, oftentimes we promote people. We, we want to promote somebody and we bring them into the office. We say, hey, we believe in you. You know, Here, do, these job, do this responsibility for six months. And at the end of that, we'll... We'll give you that promotion. That's the way it happens most times. At Homeboy, I learned early on, well, that doesn't work because they've been promised things all their whole life and, and always been disappointed. And so they're not going to go do those extra jobs with the hope of getting promoted. You know, that, that cliche I live by is, you know, head down to hard work and think good things will come. That doesn't play out for the population we serve. And so part of what this is sort of, it's, it's leaning into in a positive way to their skills, knowing they can do the job, saying, we're going to give you this promotion. Here's what we want you to do. And they, nine times out of 10, they step up and get it done. And so it's thinking about that different, being willing to think about how do you promote from within to get a diverse workforce in a much different way leads to the success of Homeboy. So now we're three times the size. We have three times the amount of senior staff, more than our, our clients. They're able to and serve more of our people who come in our doors looking for help in, in a more effective way. I want to talk about the Kelly Roadshow. I do not take my podcast recommendations lightly, but I have truly admired Kelly's journey from the get-go. She was a fresh employee at a Fortune 500, received seven promotions in eight years, all this while building a company that blossomed into an eight-figure empire. Today, she's a best-selling author, top-ranked podcaster, 
the proud owner and co-owner of six thriving companies. And let's not forget, she's an Inc. 500 awardee, proving that growth isn't just a goal, it is a lifestyle. Now, her podcast, The Kelly Roach Show, dives deep into business growth strategies, specifically targeted for those hitting the six and seven figure mark, but it's not all business. She also explores the habits, mindset, and disciplines of the world's most successful people. It's a podcast. It's perfect whether you're just getting started or you're trying to up-level your success game. But here's the deal kicker for me. She is a super mom and a wife. She embodies the truth that you don't have to sacrifice your home life for success. She believes and shows that life-changing wealth, wild success, a happy marriage, and a fulfilling home can coexist. That is goal. So tune in to The Kelly Roach Show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, it's time well invested. You know, there's um, there's a there's a lesson there too, and I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember the exact framework, but when you when you're giving somebody an opportunity, a good leader knows how to put that opportunity just right outside their comfort zone of their skill set, so that they can level up and upskill to that. That's to, right. To that to that job or that that uh, the responsibility. And that seems like that's basically the the management ethos that you've implemented across the whole organization, and that seems to be like it, it's working. It it is working. It is working. Um, now. Uh, there's other things that you've done, which I think are, are interesting uh, with Homeboy. So speak to me about uh, you You have three revenue streams. Um, you also have done acquisitions of for-profit to to subsidize or, or to add on to those revenue streams. And I want this as more just of a, a, a creative business lesson for maybe founders or entrepreneurs or CEOs or executives that are in nonprofits um, that have not thought of all the different ways that you've thought of to bring in revenue into the company. So you have your donations, you have your, your direct revenue, and then you have government subsidies, but you've done other stuff. So walk me through that. Yeah, one good example is um, we have Homeboy Electronic Recycling. In the state of California, there's all sorts of rules around how do you dispose of electronic equipment in a, mm -hmm. in a proper way. Um, and there was this business that started up called Visitor Electronics uh, a number of years ago. Uh, and it was, you know, any, oftentimes small businesses struggle to, to take that first step up. They need a capital infusion. Uh, the woman who started up Visitor Electronics had wanted set it up as a for-profit social enterprise and we had similar values she wanted to hire incarcerated people she wanted to sort of lean into and giving them a good job well what we do at homeboy and still did and still do is not only do we have a business where we have jobs but we provide a lot of wraparound services to help that person thrive in their life right at that time that businesses needed not just money capital but also wraparound services so uh, we acquired that business um, uh, first, you know, acquired that business about $400,000 in top line revenue. Uh, we're now at past $3 million in top line revenue along Amazing. the way. Uh, we, and we still believe it can, it can keep on growing. So, but we kept that a little bit set aside and we kept the management team in place and we wanted to run it with all the hallmarks of, an, of a for-profit business, all the things you got to work on on the, on the income statement, the cost of goods, the efficiency of labor, all that. Uh, and But we believe that has enough growth and enough margins in it that we can provide the level of pay, the, the market-based wages that we want, and have it uh, keep keep growing. And it's a good business for folks who graduate from our program, and we call them graduates, and we land them into that business as, as a very for-profit-oriented business. Right? And so uh, off 
times we at homeboy we have a lot of visitors come come to us they ask us how we do the work we do a lot of other organizations come through and you know they always stop in my office and ask about the business side of of, of what we do yeah. and one of the first things i say is uh, uh that think about the the business model you want uh, make sure you're no, you know how to do that business model in a for-profit way and then be really clear about what of that then makes it a social enterprise organization. So for some companies, it's because they're in the green economy uh, mm-hmm. and they're you know, recycling a product. Other organizations like Homeboy, it's about we're going to have more jobs than a for-profit business would have. And so the way I think about our businesses is... Uh, while they break even, don't make money, the difference between our, the profit, the profit margin that we don't have is we spend that profit margin in extra labor, right? But every other part of the income statement, we, we are as, as good as a for-profit business. Our cost of goods sold, our shrinkage, our, mm-hmm. our, our, our how we buy and all that is just as good, but we have more people employed. And as we think about growing businesses, it's about how many jobs can we produce and how many quality jobs are there? And, and can people have, do people have upward mobility in that business model? I'm curious what your opinion is on, on nonprofits as an entity being extremely focused on their mission, but less focused on, on the business fundamentals. And it seems like that was almost even the case before you stepped in. There was, there was a, there's a stress on the business. I think that I'm sure some, some nonprofits have definitely figured it out. But mm-hmm. if you think about uh, the traditional nonprofit, I, I've never heard of a strategy like you've deployed and, and even the nuances of what you're focused on in terms of like sound business fundamentals and core business fundamentals. It's not like you're ignoring the mission, obviously, actually, to if, if anything, you're creating a healthier environment to fulfill the mission. That's but uh, do you find that uh, the average nonprofit needs to uh, focus on their mission, but also look at some of these other strategies that you've deployed. Is that an issue with nonprofits, why they can't have a bigger impact? Or um, Yes, it's it, it definitely an issue with nonprofits. And also one more issue that gets into that mix is that um, many nonprofits in the human service space, helping people, uh, have majority of their funding coming from government contracts which sort of has the tail wagging the dog at that point. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah. you get pushed into doing things that <laughs> sometimes doesn't make sense. It becomes very inefficient. Uh, so it's this combination of, you know, being in contract compliance. And then, I mean, do you have a skill to run businesses and do contracts? It's kind of hard to do both at the same time. Uh, and then all of a sudden you've kind of, you're lost. You, you have mission creep and you've lost like the true essence of, of what you're about. And, uh, and so what is important is sort of, again, have a good board in place that kind of keeps you true to your mission. And we luckily have a good board and a founder who sort of, it's so clear, everybody at Homeboy is so clear that we know what our mission is. And it's just the ways of how we implement it is what varies. And, and if you were going to give advice to somebody who actually wanted to start a nonprofit and they were, they, they had some business acumen, but not to the level that you had, and they were very mission driven, what would be the steps that you'd you'd recommend so that they don't get trapped in this loop. Yeah, if they want to start a nonprofit that's a social enterprise, is, is Correct, how I yeah. took your question, yeah. Uh, go find somebody who's run that business in the for-profit world. And there are plenty of folks out there, and so many folks, kind of like myself, who've realized yeah, you, yeah, at some point you've made it in business, you've made the money you wanted to make, but how do you kind of shift this to help other people out? And so maybe it's like an older person who sort of wants to help the next generation as one, one way of thinking about it. 
Uh, could be younger people who've made it and want to help the next generation. But it's I'm so clear. You have to get somebody who's run it in a for-profit way and just clearly know for us, it's the labor line that is different. Uh, and that uh, is how we treat our employees that is different. That we have, the labor line means we have more people on in place to do the work because we know we have to give time off for the guy who goes into jail for three days to reduce his debt. We know we got to give time off for the woman who has to go see the pr probation officer along the way. And that's how you have to provide that type of support service and understanding around it. Um, one thing that I, I want to I want to speak about some lessons that you've learned over your career, and, and you said you've had many pivotal moments in your life um, because of Homeboy and what you, but also some of the leadership lessons that you deploy as well. So let's just focus on on you a little bit, just to sort of tie this up. Um, one of the things that you don't do is you don't take a salary. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, speak to me about why you don't, and maybe just commentary on if that's a if it's a good strategy, if it's more of a marketing gimmick. Is it something like see we talk we see billionaires that don't take yeah, salaries sure. as well. So what is the benefit of of not taking a salary um, to the organization, to the company, to even the executive team when they when they look at you? Do they want to model you in some aspect? Speak to me about that decision. Yeah. Um, and let me just get out of the way. It's not a marketing gimmick because I kept it quiet for nine of my 10 years. <laughs> I never told anybody. I didn't mean to insinuate you, you, it was a <laughs> no, marketing no, gimmick. But that, but, but that was in yeah. my brain, right? Because, you know, yeah. all the way back to Leo, Lee Iacocca only, yeah. you know, getting paid $1 to produce K-Cars, yeah, yeah. right? Right. Um, I'm told you how old I am. I knew that story. But it's, um... <laughs> you, did, you dated yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. I read it's books. I read books. <laughs> right. But listen, so let me tell you how I got to that point, right? So I, I come to Homeboy, look, I, I feel blessed. But the work, I'm proud of the work we did at Aramark. It was a very very interesting success story, whereas 93% owned by employees. And so there was a liquidity event, went public, then we went private, and then we got cash. Anyway, made a lot of money. And so um, I didn't come to Homeboy to make money. And this is actually, if I can talk more about around this question, because it's illustrative of why I think Homeboy is successful. It's just, mm -hmm. I was there. Please. It worked for the right time for me and for the home for this organization. I just wanted to come help people, right? And that's a lot of people want to just go help other people. And so I didn't come to Homeboy with any ego to say I gotta I gotta brandish myself and make myself into a nonprofit warrior. Uh, my job was I was gonna go make I wanted to make Father Greg job easier. I saw the stress. I saw I knew how to run an organization. I saw all the stress he was under. And yet I see the magic of when he's ministering to the homies and how that changes their life around. And so I wouldn't think, okay, I'll just, I'll just do this. And so the board said, okay, they, they wanted to hire me. I said, fine. We had to put a salary in place thinking that's, that's what you do. Right. All right. Three weeks into me taking on the role. Uh, well, I, I, me being the smart CEO, I didn't ask the question before I said, yes, is how much money do you have in the bank? Can you, can you, can you make payroll? Three weeks into me taking the role, we have a cash crunch and we won't not going to make payroll. And so, and this is like that now, this is like the beginning of January. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how this, anyway, long story how it happened, but what do you do? So, so you're in scramble mode from that moment on. Uh, so, I did, I did a workforce reduction, we trimmed back expenses, didn't take in as many clients, I stopped taking a salary. And so it was like, and then also we had to borrow money to make payroll, which is, oh boy, any, any business that has to start borrowing money to make payroll, 
you know you're in big trouble, right? Yeah. But I thought we had the right plan in place. I knew how to move this forward. And it was sort of like betting on ourselves that uh, we're going to make this happen. And so we made it through the year. Uh, we, you know, finally made it through the end of the year. Our fundraising is big in the in the Christmas time area. So finally, 11 months later, we were get enough money, paid off the loan, and then had a little bit of money in the bank. And so from there, though, I realized I fell in love with the organization. And so I could have taken a salary, but I was like, why not? But for that same money, I knew we could help three or four more people. And I, that may not be the right way of thinking about it. You know, I think, you know, like organizations like Doctors Without Borders, you know, they go off and, and help people in other countries. And they, do they take money? They don't take money. But and you sort of get into this, this whole concept of being guilty and, and having this, you have resources, they don't have resources type of thing. Mm-hmm. And a little bit, it was in that place. But it was to me, my wife and I just made a decision. We don't need, like, thankfully, we don't need the money. There are more people who need more. There are people who need more money more. All right. So that's our personal decision that we made. But the interesting thing is, Foundation World looked at us and said, "Oh, wait a minute! You can't afford to pay your CEO. But what's wrong with you <laughs> as an organization?" <laughs> so it, it was actually interpreted as a negative. <laughs> it was interpreted as a negative, <laughs> right? Okay. Right yeah. along the way. And so then, yeah. you know, one thing leads to another. And but um, but where I stand on this, the other thing that but, but where it helped though is. Um, and this is, it's a very unusual situation. I can't imagine it's going to be many people in this situation. But as I'm kind of working hard trying to make change happen in the organization from a not changing the mission, the mission was always strong. It was like, but are we organized correctly? Are we spending too much money doing all those things? As I'm trying to make change happen, it, internally it kind of gave a credibility. Hey, hey, Tom's not here to sort of just cash a paycheck and making these nutty things. He's here to try to, we're part of this team. We're all in this together to, to get the organization to a thriving perspective. And that's, I think that's gone a long way, helping me sort of get the team to uh, move along and get there faster. And so, you know, you get used to it. And then it's like, well, then why start taking a salary at that point after we got more successful? And, and so I, I, we, we made it more knowledgeable because, you know, I, I wrote this book, The Homeboy Way. And I guess I wanted to put it out there because, listen, I'm not just, again, I, it's not just some guy sort of, cashing in on homeboy it's like mm-hmm. no 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 I'm, I'm, all the royalties go to homeboy all the everything we get helps the organization out it's like here's a message i really believe in in a way of helping poor people in our society if more organizations and more people get there the better off and and how do you how do you as a ceo now because you know you're not you're not measured and you're measured against organizational kpis but how would you measure the success of a CEO without a salary? How do you measure that success in your in your own organization? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, look, um, again, it's an easy answer for Homeboy. It may not be as easy for other organizations, right? Easy answer for Homeboy. Do homies show up every day to to change your life? And mm-hmm. We have more people than we can serve each and every day. And because we're still adding value to their lives. Now we have KPI and foundation world. We'll, we'll give all those statistics. But the real thing is every day, more people are coming in to help us than we can afford. And we have to turn people away. And so without a doubt, our mission is still strong because of that. Mm-hmm. And as I measure myself as a CEO, it's like, why are we turning people away? How do we, can we not grow even more so we can help more and more people? Uh, so that's the, 
the stress in my life is having to turn people away as an organization and not being able to help them when they're in that vulnerable position. And if we know if we're not helping them, no one in the county's helping them. They're back in gang world, gang life, causing problems. Um, um, so, no, I appreciate that. And I just was curious about how you measure it more. You're, it's very organization dependent, but you're clear on your mission. And I think that that's how you measure like true success. Um, now, I guess to, to summarize, I mean, you've worked with incredible people. I'm curious, what lessons have, have you learned from the people that you serve and, and the, the homeboys and the homegirls that have, you know, for lack of a better term, made you a, a better person or made you a better leader? Yeah, um, there's, they go into two categories. Uh, early on, um, look, I wanted, to, I wanted to be in Father Greg's orbit to, to, as I took on this role. Uh, and it's been a, a great, great for me to be in his orbit, and I've learned so much from him. But it sounds cliche to say, but it is so true. I have learned more from the homeboys and homegirls than I think I've given them along the way. And, uh, and I, what I've learned from them, they are authentic people, no pretenses. You know, the rest of our society have all these pretenses and we all have all these, we put up these false selves of ourselves and posture and position. Boy, the people who are poor in our society, they're too, they're too, life's too hard for them to have those pretenses. And so they are, they're pretty like, they're natural. They're, they're authentic. You know, you, uh, I invite everybody listening to this, come visit some homeboy at Homeboy. You'll, you'll feel the energy, you'll feel the love in the room. You'll hear a lot of laughter. You know, here I come in as a, as a corporate CEO and, and there's a lot of laughter and meetings have a lot of joking on them. Thinking, what's going on? People got to get serious. But what I came to learn is it's, it's in that, it's not sarcastic jokes. It's sort of good-natured, self-deprecating, mm -hmm. clear, personal, one-on-one. -on -one. It's, then you see laughter, you'll see crying at homeboy. And so I've learned to be, I learned that they're not, they're the authentic. I've learned that they've changed their life because, in my words, because they finally understood that God loves them. And once they understand that God loves them, they can love themselves and thereby move their life forward. And so they've, they, I've seen that they're, they're on this spiritual journey. I'm thinking to myself, if they're on a spiritual journey, well, I, let me pay attention, Tom. You, you should go on a spiritual journey as well, which has, which has helped. And I have been on that, and, I, and it's, been a, it's been great for me. And the third area I've learned from our team is they're the most generous people around. I can't tell you the number of times uh, that I've seen our homies, our clients, take the last $5 out of their pocket and give it to somebody else so they can buy food. I can't tell you the number of times we, I, I take some of the team members to lunch and they only eat part of their lunch. I eat my, all my lunch. They eat part of their lunch. They get in a bag. On the way back, they hand it to a homeless person. They have this like natural generosity that I think the rest of our society overthink and mm -hmm. we don't sort of just become expansive with our resources. And so, you know, it's those three things I try to th be thinking about and try to do better at. Now, as you all know, the Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They have incredible podcasts, so please go check out their roster. But one of my favorite shows is Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew. You just have to understand that some of the smallest changes can have the biggest impacts on your life. And on Nudge, this is what Phil goes through. He speaks about evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, 
grow a business. Every single episode is bite-sized, 20 minutes. It comes packed with practical advice from some of the most prolific uh, entrepreneurs, behavioral scientists in the world, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. I definitely recommend you go check it out. You should listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. I love that. Um, no, I know there's always there's always lessons, and I'm sure yeah. you're in it every single day, so I appreciate that. Um, any Anything that I want to get some places to send people, so your socials, website, all of that, but anything, floor is yours that we didn't cover that you'd like to leave the audience with about about homeboy, about entrepreneurship, about building businesses, about nonprofits, uh, take it away. Yeah, just one more topic uh, along the way, and it's and it's a little bit the same theme that I've been mentioning as as we go. Um, <clears throat> you know, look, the working poor in our society struggle, right? And I came into homeboy as a big believer in the quote unquote American dream, a big believer in meritocracy, because you know I, I grew up a middle class kid, you know, took loans to go to college, came out, worked hard, did well, did really well in the business world. Uh, and so I believed in meritocracy. What I've seen dead on at Homeboy is, oh no, meritocracy doesn't work for poor people in our society. It just doesn't. And you know, Martin Luther King has this famous quote that it, you know, it's cruel jest to suggest to a poor person to lift them up by the bootstraps when they don't have bootstraps. Right? And that's that's the message I want to get across. So in society, sometimes we wag our finger at people, work harder, they can do more. What I'm trying to say is you, everybody in the business world realize there are folks in the front line, workers of our society, a lot of stresses in their life, a lot of challenges. If they're not doing a good job, it's not because they don't want to work hard, it's because something else is out there. And so part of this is thinking about how do you kind of help your fellow person <laughs> in their life. And it's not about kind of, you know, on this, just work hard and you'll get there. You got to kind of create different different situations. Uh, and the other thing is, it's to me, it's I've, I've learned so much. I talked about a little bit my spiritual journey. It's about finding foundational joy. And uh, there's a whole body of work on joy. And Desmond Tutu and, and the Dalai Lama have this great book on joy. And it's, it's very helpful to kind of think through how do you bring more joy to your life? And, and it's far, it's, you know, in, this, in our society, sometimes we think about, I, can, I worry about me, you worry about you. But really, it's you find joy through others. And it's about moving into the relationship with others that is, a, is something that we all need to practice more. Thank you. Um, if people want to get the book, if people want to connect with you, if people want to go learn more about Homeboy or or even just reach out, where all the links, all of that, where should they go? All the links. Well, you, the book's on Amazon. It's called The Homeboy yep. Way. And clearly, um, we have a lot of social media links at Homeboy, homeboyindustries.org. We have a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn page. Um, I would encourage people to, to go to our Facebook page. We have a lot of our a lot of content there, a lot of videos of people talking first-person narratives about their story of transformation. Uh, they're you know, they're all inspirational along the way, and it kind of gives you a good flavor for the clients we serve and how we go about it. Okay, perfect. And then I ask everybody this question to close it up um, after your career, after you know. One career in the in the for profit and and now another a life in the in the nonprofit. Um, what does success mean to you? Yeah, and I and I want to uh, cliche in a cliche way duck that question because it's because um, I come to learn it's not about defining success. It's uh, listen. I now realize I I uh, I've known God's love me. I and I sort of my spiritual journey is about 
how to how to sort of have not understanding God's love, but putting that into action and how to do that with other people. And so if I'm doing that every day for the rest of my life, I guess that's the definition of success. It's a, there's, there's no measurement to that. There's no like end point to that. It is, it's, it's a philosophy and that's what you work towards. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 